Acts 1 and verse number 8 says, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, you bless now, Lord, as I preach on the topic of the Great Commission. And Lord, and how your church went forward in the years following your ascension into heaven. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand your word. And Lord, help us to be able to um, believe it by faith and to live it as individual Christians and Lord, as a church. Lord, help our church to go forward in its reach of getting the gospel to this city and making disciples of all nations. And Lord, help us to be faithful in teaching to observe all things. Lord, I pray that this would be a great commission church. Lord, a great commandment church that seeks to love you with all of our heart and our soul and our mind. We seek to love our neighbor as ourself. And we seek, Lord, to get the gospel out. Lord, help us not to be a selfish church. Lord, I pray if someone is listening today, they've never placed their faith and trust in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would save them. Lord, help them to realize their need. Lord, what a blessing when so many people lifted their hand and gave a date of when they trusted you as their savior. Lord, I pray that someone who's listening, that today it might be that date where they have trusted you as their savior. We love you. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the question is, what happened? What happened? After Jesus gives the great commission and he gives it five times, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and once here that we just read in the book of Acts. We studied last week in Matthew 28, the great commission, right? Uh, The great go, right? Go into all the world. Um, What happened after he gave that? Well, we're going to look at the specifics here in Acts chapter number one. And so we will begin in verse number one. We'll read down. It said, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Just a quick point on verse number one. The Holy Spirit used Luke to write both the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And he addressed it to one of his disciples called Theophilus. That was his name. And of course, it's for us as well. Um, uh, But that is what verse number one is talking about. Notice all of the trouble that one discipler or one teacher went through in order for his student to be able to know all that Jesus began both to do and teach and all that the church began to do. If it hadn't been for this guy, Theophilus, at least in our human thinking, and the the apostle Luke that wrote this down, we wouldn't have the story of the apostle Paul getting saved. We wouldn't have a lot of the stories of Peter. We wouldn't have a lot of the history of the church going forward and covering the entire Roman empire. And in the book of Luke, we wouldn't have so many stories and parables as well. And so we can see here that when when a church and when when a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ says, I want to teach you, I want to teach you about Christ. I want to teach you about the Bible like the apostle Luke did here. So many people benefit. 
And it has such an incredible impact when we follow the Great Commission as Luke did here. So it says in verse number two that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, meaning the cross, by many infallible proofs. I love that statement. Many infallible proofs. Jesus showed himself alive. And then it goes on to say that he did that for 40 days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Now it would make perfect sense for the disciples, all Jewish men, at this particular point, specifically when it's talking about right here, it would make perfect sense for them to think, well, Jesus was prophesied to die on the cross. He, he died on the cross. He was prophesied that he would rose again from, that he would rise again from the dead. He rose again from the dead. It would make perfect sense for Jesus as the risen Messiah to set up his earthly kingdom right now, right? And we all as believers, we want for this world to be a perfect place to live in. For all of the problems to be over, for all of the struggles to be gone, for Jesus to be the king of the world. And he will do that one day when he comes back and has his millennial reign, that 1,000 year reign where he is literally the king of the earth and he is, uh, he, it's, 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 it's a, an amazing and beautiful time on earth and that day is coming. The disciples thought that day was now and, in, and in, in the human mind, it would make perfect sense. You died on the cross, you paid for our salvation, you rose again from the dead, you have victory over all of your enemies why don't you go ahead and take the throne from Caesar, right? Everybody has problems with politicians. And of course, he wasn't a politician. He was an emperor, <laughs> right? And in the face of that timing and in the face of that question, what did Jesus do? What was his plan? He had given him the Great Commission already four times. This is number five is about to happen. Are you going to establish your kingdom right now? That was their question in verse number five, or sorry, verse number six. Jesus corrects them. He gets them back on track as Jesus must do with those of us who are believers time and time and time again. It is so easy for us to get preoccupied with other things, preoccupied with the problems we may have in our personal lives, preoccupied with the problems of this world, um, and preoccupied with the crazy stuff going on in the news. We, listen, we have more access to know the silly things and the bad things. We have more access to the knowledge of what's going on in this world now more than ever before. At the touch of a button, we can even get the notifications if you're so inclined to torture yourself. Turn off the notifications. That's just a personal comment. That's just my opinion. Turn off the notifications. Bing, someone died. Bing, someone crashed. Bing, someone's doing something silly. Right? We Take the time to check the news if you would like to. Uh, anyway, but it, it's very easy to be in the same mindset as disciples of, 
Aren't you going to fix all this now? Aren't you going to come and just be the ruler now? Aren't you going to come and fix everything now? And it can be really confusing because Jesus came, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, the victory is there. But instead of him telling the disciples, yes, I'm going to fix everything now. He's like, nope, I'm going back to heaven and you're going to go and you're the ones that are responsible for going around the world. Now, he mentions this every time the Great Commission is given in some way or another. He always mentions the fact that he has the power for this to take place. And we cannot miss that. When we're talking about giving the gospel to other people, when we're talking about making a difference in this world, listen, it's very easy sometimes for us as believers to look at Jesus and say, you died on the cross, you rose from the dead, you need to change all of this. And Jesus is like, no, actually, I have the power and I want you to be used of God and of me for you to make the difference. He puts it back on them. And that's what he's done with us with the church. You realize that God has given us the job of making the difference in this world? Of making the difference in your family? Of making the difference in your work? And you think, no, you don't, you don't know my work. Oh, uh, you don't know my family. Oh, you don't know our city. Oh, you don't know our country. You don't, you don't know how big the world is. You don't know how bad the world is. And yet Jesus comes and he says, and he starts out every time in connection with the Great Commission. He always says in verse number eight, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The church was empowered by the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter number two. And let's take a moment for theology's sake so that we're not super confused. If we go to Ephesians chapter number one, Are we waiting for the Holy Ghost like the church? Are we waiting for the Holy Spirit to come blow in as is described in Acts chapter number two? Is that what we're waiting for? It says in Ephesians one. And verse number 13, it says, in whom ye also trusted. So this is Ephesians one and 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth. It's describing how someone trusts Christ for salvation. You hear the word of truth. Listen, if you're, it, there are some cultures, some backgrounds, some, some, some ways of thinking out there. I've always believed in God. I've always believed in Jesus. No, you've got to hear the word of truth and make a specific choice. You have to make a choice. We've talked about this before. We are accountable to God for our thoughts, our actions, our motives. When we sin against others, we sin against our soul, but supremely we sin against God. One day, all will be made right in this universe on judgment day, and we righteously deserve judgment day. So we are accountable. Next, we must believe that Jesus Christ himself took our punishment on the cross and rose again from the dead to prove his victory over sin, death, and judgment. We need this forgiveness. We have to confess our transfer of trust to Jesus, meaning we have to call on him for salvation. 
From our heart, we have to say, I believe I'm accountable and I believe you died for my sin and rose again from the dead. And I'm placing my faith and trust, not in religion, not in baptism, not in good works, but I'm placing my faith and trust in a person. And that person, Jesus Christ alone, will save me. I'm not a Christian because my parents are Christians. I'm not a Christian because I grew up in a so-called Christian country. Some Christian, some countries kind of have that tagline, oh, it's a Christian country. Okay, that doesn't make us a Christian. There has to be a definite day where we have chosen Christ for ourselves. That's, what's it, that's what it is describing in Ephesians 1 and verse number 13. In whom, that's a person, in whom you also trusted, verse 13, verse 1. Or sorry, chapter one, verse 13. In whom you also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. You hear the word of truth. It leads you to trust. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe in that whom. You believe in that person. That's what it's talking about. What happens after that? It describes the fact that we are then given the gift of the Holy Spirit at that moment. It says, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. We all know that if someone hands us a drink, a bottle of water, can of soda, right? Unless we see them, fill it up from the tap or... It's like we know that when we open something up, it's supposed to be fresh. It makes that crack sound. It's been sealed for freshness. Have you guys ever bought something and you started drinking it or you started eating it and you think, that's stale. That's not fresh. The seal has been broken. I'll never forget when we lived in Nepal. At the time we lived there, there were certain breakfast cereals that were very hard to find. I'm not a breakfast cereal person. I, it makes me angry because you eat a whole bowl of cereal and 35 minutes later, you're starving. It's mostly sugar. Even when it says part of a complete breakfast, right? On the commercials. Okay, but my wife loves it. She loves it for breakfast. She loves it for snacks. It's her thing. Praise God. Go get you some. We found this breakfast cereal that she just couldn't believe it was there. It was there and it was expensive, but it came all the way over from wherever. And there it is. It's amazing. We found some. Buys it. It was like $7, maybe $8 for a box of cereal. Like 15 years ago. We get it home. She gets the milk ready. She gets her bowl ready. She opens up the package and it seemed like it was fine. She opens it up and begins to shake the cereal out. Not only was it stale, there were little black dots of dead buggies, insects that had somehow penetrated the seal of freshness. Of course, we couldn't eat it. Guys, here's the thing. When we trust Christ as our Savior, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We have the Holy Spirit 
in our heart. To be precise in theology, we talk about asking Jesus to come into our heart, but technically it's the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. Jesus is in a body up in heaven. And when it talks about the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit is the agent. He's the one that's actually doing that. He's the one that dwells inside of us. The whole, when we talk about Jesus' spirit is here, that is true. But technically, in theology, it's actually the Holy Spirit that is here working in our hearts as the word of God is being preached, speaking to you inside, helping you, and pushing you towards the next step of faith. And so when we're going back to Acts chapter number one, he tells the first church there, after that you have the Holy Spirit, after you have power from the Holy Spirit, we have that Holy Spirit and we have that same power that we need. We come to that power through prayer and we come to that power through faith. Okay, we're not waiting for this huge dramatic thing to happen to the church. Um, And so we can go down to the next step, which is simply, ye shall be witnesses unto me. And then it says this, both. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't say first and next? He doesn't give this list. He says both. He says, you're going to be a witness of me. A witness of what? A witness of Christ. A witness of his resurrection. A a witness of what he has done for you. A witness. You're going to tell people what Jesus has done for you. You know, that is the basic part of the Great Commission. When we talk about making disciples of every nation and telling people about Jesus, we're telling people, what has Jesus done for me? We're not telling them about our background and how we've always been a Christian, or I remember when I was baptized as a baby, or which would be hard to do, but some people try to say that, I suppose. I don't know. Maybe they were baptized as a, as a young person. Baptism is important, but baptism isn't salvation. Baptism is getting wet. Baptism is identifying with Christ. In scripture, baptism always comes after belief. In biblical Christianity, we call it believer's baptism. There is actually a point in the history of Baptists where people would call us Anabaptists. Anabaptists, that was the name we were known by, our group. The reason? It was Basically, that was the, their way of saying rebaptizers. Rebaptizers. Everybody was baptized as a baby during the uh, when when the Roman Church, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, was in charge over all over Europe. And when someone would hear the gospel of truth, as we just read in Ephesians chapter number one, and they heard the fact that you have to know that you're accountable to God, that you're a sinner, that infant baptism doesn't wash away sin and that Jesus died for your sin, and you have to place your faith and trust in Christ for yourself, there has to be a moment of decision. You have to receive each other. And people would do that, and they would get saved, then they would have to get re-baptized, which, at the time, the law in many European countries, it was against the law for you to get re-baptized. And so... The law would come through and they would round up rebaptizers, and many of them were put into prison and many of them were actually killed for committing treason against the crown, so to speak. And that's a whole nother topic of conversation. But the fact of the matter is, is that baptism doesn't save us. 
It is salvation. It is belief in Jesus Christ alone that saves us. And so we're not witnesses of a baptism. You should be witnesses. What does it say? Unto me. That's what it says. Witnesses unto me. And then it says this, both. Now we already kind of teased a little bit with this, but notice the words here in your Bible. It says, you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem. First one is Jerusalem. What is Jerusalem? Jerusalem was the city they were in. Jerusalem is the city that they were in. When it's saying both, it means simultaneous. It means in Jerusalem, and then it goes through the list, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But it's not just Jerusalem first, and after everyone in Jerusalem hears, then you go to the next place. It's saying both, and we begin to see the pattern of how the Great Commission is accomplished. There has to be a way to do it both. You have to be able to do both at the same time. But let's go through the, the, um, the locations here quickly. On our little map up here, we see that Jerusalem is down here. That's the city. Okay, what's the next one? Both in Jerusalem and Judea. Okay, so Judea would be the area. For us, our city would be what? Toronto would be our city. And if we're going to say in our Judea, that would be like our province of? Ontario. I love all the accents when I hear when I heard everybody say Ontario. That's awesome. Love that. Okay. Um, and then what's the next one? What does it say? Samaria is the next one. Where's Samaria? Samaria is just here. Okay. So Jesus was born in Galilee, right? There's Nazareth. Okay. Samaria. So you remember in John chapter four where it says he has to uh, that he must needs go through Samaria. Many Jews, most of the Jews before they were Christians and some struggled with it after, they were so racist against the Samaritans. They would not travel through Samaria to go to Galilee, but they would cross over the Jordan River, travel on this side, and then come back over and over that way. Isn't it interesting that in the Great Commission, Jesus specifically says the people that you're racist against? Yeah. You need to go reach them with the gospel. Listen, we talk about the problem of racism in this world and it's real. And it is a problem. How did Jesus address that problem? Go tell them the gospel. Go up to someone that your people group historically have a problem with and go up to them and say, Jesus loves you. Not Jesus loves you. <sighs> right? No, but genuinely, Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you. And I want you to hear the good news of the gospel. You realize that's what this world needs? Look at all of the different ethnicities and backgrounds that are represented just in this room. You realize that the church's responsibility is if we believe in Jesus and we carry out the great commission and we love God together and we love our neighbor as ourselves, we are supposed to be a picture of the love of God, of unity. 
and of an absence of discrimination and racism. Why isn't there an end to racism and discrimination? Well, because the hearts of men and women need to be born again. They, listen, they need to know the love of God for themselves before they can truly show it to someone else. They need to receive it before they can give it. And then we can be witnesses of God's good grace. Any form of Christianity, any form of Christianity that tries to justify any form of racism or discrimination is not biblical Christianity. It is not. Notice he says in Samaria, and then he says unto the uttermost part of the earth. So if this is our pattern, we're supposed to understand the scope of the Great Commission. It's supposed to be worldwide. It's supposed to be a global vision. If you know John 3.16, would you quote it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. From the very beginning, his plan was the world. From the very beginning, his plan was the world. And the the words that Jesus said right before he went to heaven, his last words were, tell the world. Tell the world. I'm telling you what, guys. If anybody gives you a hard time about being a Christian, knowing this will help you defend your faith. You can simply ask them, Did you know, do you know what Jesus said right before he went to heaven? Do you realize that he told his church to go and talk to the people that they were the most racist against? And honestly, the uttermost part of the earth, that would be the next most racist group that the Jewish people were racist against. Because in their minds, there was two groups of people in the world, Jews and everybody else. And everybody else was called Gentiles. And Samaritans, in their mind, were just the worst because they were half Jewish. They were half Jew and half Gentile, so they were just the worst of the worst. But then everybody else. And Jesus gave them this correction and he gave them a mission. Not to just show the love of Christ, which is what we need to do but to share the love of Christ, which is the message of the gospel. Jerusalem is their city and our city. In the coming months and in the coming years, this is what we will be doing at Sparrow Baptist Church is to try everything that we can with as many creative ways as we can to reach our city with the gospel, to reach our city with the gospel. The next thing that we are going to try to do is to reach our Judea, which is Ontario. Ontario is a huge province. So many people live in the GTA, over 7 million and around and around the, the Golden Horseshoe, over 9 million people. You realize that's, that's almost a third of the population of Canada live right here. 
What can we do? We can do a lot. We can, we, and, and we'll get into details later, but we just need to realize that as far as a plan, God's plan is for us to reach our area. And then Samaria, this would be, I don't know, Quebec maybe? It would be the province over that's a little different. What about the United States? Oh, they don't need the gospel. The U.S. down there. Guys, let me tell you something, friend. They really do. You cannot sit there and follow American news and think they don't need the gospel. They do. Just look at the news. Just for five minutes. They do. What country can we say they don't need the gospel? I see many Filipino friends. Philippines, man, there's, there's so many great gospel preaching churches there. And I've heard people say before, they don't need any more churches. That's not true, is it? No, they need more churches. They need more gospel preaching churches and Christians who love the Lord. They need more missionaries. There is, there is a mission. When, listen, when Jesus wants to give us a purpose in life, he doesn't give us a small one. He gives one that encompasses the entire world. He had a global vision before that was even a financial thing in the financial world, a global vision. Let's go global, right? And then he just simply says, the uttermost part of the world. We mentioned this in the last, in the first lesson today. The light purple, it, according to this map, these were Christianized areas before 600. So uh, for the next several hundred years, after the death of Christ, these areas were Christianized. They, the gospel message was being preached. The uttermost part of the world. And we know that as we continue to look at world history, the gospel made its way around the world. So let's just give a couple of very basic ways on how we can on how we can give out the gospel and follow what Jesus has for us. Okay, let's go ahead and we'll read uh, the last couple of verses here. Let's look at nine. Let's look at nine through 11 so we can finish this passage. It says, and when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians in your Bible. 1 Thessalonians. He gives us the commission, but then also we get the promise of his return. The promise of his return. 1 Thessalonians 4. And verse number 13. 1 Thessalonians 4. That's toward the back of your Bible. If you're sitting next to somebody who's struggling a little bit to find it. You can help them out a little bit. 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 13. He says this. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Concerning them which are asleep, meaning those that are already dead, it says that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe 
that Jesus died and rose again, meaning if you believe the gospel, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Jesus gives them the great commission. He goes up into heaven. The angels say, this same Jesus is coming back. We see here in 1 Thessalonians chapter number four, the description of that time when Jesus does come back and the end of the world is, 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 is upon us at that point. And we which are alive, that's called the rapture. We're gonna be raptured up into heaven. Immediately, we're just gonna go up. The Bible talks about how that those who are already dead, God is going to rapture them up. They're, they're going to meet their bodies. God is going to reunite their bodies with, uh, with, their, with their spirit. That's called the second resurrection, right? And, uh, and so uh, he wants us to know that. But what are we supposed to do while we wait for that? What has the church done? What is our job as we wait for Jesus to come back? Our job is to get the gospel out to give the gospel to others, to get the gospel around the world, to make disciples of every nation. Notice the global encompassing every time Jesus gives the Great Commission. He's always concerned about every single person. So let me just give you a couple of points and then we'll be done. How should we do this in practical ways? Number one, do it digitally. Give the gospel digitally. We realize that when we send a post out, your friends and your family and acquaintances and their acquaintances, that it can be seen all around the world. You can have a global impact by what you put on your social media. Is it good or is it bad? Well, let me ask you this question. Could somebody know that you're a Christian by what you post? Do they? know that you're a Christian. They should. They should. They should know that you're a Christian by what you post. You shouldn't be like a secret, just citizen of the world and nobody knows I'm a Christian online, but in person, you're kind of sort of that way too. Those two things should be, there should be a unification there. Okay, be a gospel influencer. Everybody wants to be an influencer these days. They want to influence people for various things. Usually it just means you're trying to get famous and make a bunch of money. Okay, social media influencer. Influence people for Christ. Point people to Christ. Does this post please God? Does it represent Christ well? Okay. Digitally, we could do a whole lesson on that. Number two, be dedicated to your church by becoming a faithful member. and follow with full participation. The history of missions or the history of the Great Commission is essentially the history of the church. We read in the gospels, Jesus started the church in Acts chapter two. It is the story of the church that goes forward. Even in the different accounts where there are individuals such as Peter or Philip that are doing specific things, they're sent out of a church to go do those things as evangelists or missionaries. 
right? So it's the church. The church is the engine. The church is the powerhouse that does these things. So if we're going to follow the Great Commission, do it digitally. Number two, be dedicated to your church by becoming a faithful member, okay? And fully participate. My pastor used to say, get plugged in. That's what he would say. Come to everything. Come to everything that you can. And if there's a way to modify your schedule so that you can come to more things, then come to more things so that we can make a difference in this city and in this world. Number three, personally own being a Christian, okay? The Bible says in Matthew 5 and verse number 13, ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A light is a light no matter where it is. You turn that little flashlight on, it doesn't matter, right? I'll never forget as a little kid, uh, little, I was a teenager, I was a, a junior high. We went on this field trip with the youth group and we went to this cave, right? This little, you're just trying to find something to do as a teenager. And, uh, and we go to this cave and he's like, you know, they, they said, don't, don't, don't turn any lights on. Well, you know, you tell a bunch of teenagers that. You get into this darkest cave and you can't even see your hand, you're doing this. What's a teenager going to do? If they have a light, they're going to turn it on, right? And there's no hiding it. It's just on, right? And I remember at the time, the only light I had on me, right, was my watch had a little light on it so it could light up. And I'm telling you what, in the darkness, pitch black darkness of a cave, you're way back. There's no natural light at all. And you just beep and you turn that on. It's like it illuminated. It felt like it illuminated the whole room and everybody's eyes were drawn right to it. You know, one of the easiest ways to follow Christ is to just own the fact that you're a light. Jesus is the light of the world. But then right here, he says, you're the light of the world. Be yourself. Which self? The Christian self. It doesn't mean you have to be some lunatic that's always screaming at people about how wrong they are and everybody's going to hell. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do that. He was a nice guy. He was a friend to sinners. The only people Jesus was really kind of rough with was the super religious people. And they were the ones that picked a fight with him. Don't pick a fight with God, (laughs) right? But Jesus was who he was no matter where he was. We can learn a lot from that. If you're a Christian, be a Christian. Everywhere you are, be a Christian. Just be the light, be the salt. All people are gonna see me. I'm gonna get some attention. Isn't that what everybody's desperate for nowadays anyway? Right? Some people seem to be desperate for attention. But do it for the Lord's sake. Allow yourself to be light for his sake. Verbally. Be a witness verbally. 1 Peter 3 and 15, it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We are going to start some training on how to be a witness for Christ and go over some basics and then kind of some, some separate things. We need to be ready to be able to give an answer. Why are you a Christian? Have you ever been asked that before? Why are you a Christian? 
Let me tell you why. I've got reasons. We need to be able to give them a reason. Well, it's just kind of the way I grew up. No, that's not good enough. That's not a good enough reason. Be a witness verbally. We can talk about information and literature. We have information and literature and being a witness. Getting involved with our prayers. It says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. How do we follow the Great Commission? How do we give the gospel? We have to pray. Two more and then we're done. Next, pray for workers. The word the Bible uses is laborers. Luke 10 and verse two says, therefore he said unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Pray for workers. Pray for people to say, I want to be a witness. I want to get involved in the global vision of Sparrow Baptist Church. Pray for people to not, look, the Bible doesn't say pray for watchers. Doesn't say pray for listeners. Doesn't say pray for learners. It says pray for laborers, workers. Pastor, what can I do? Oh, when somebody says that, a pastor's heart just stops. Praise God. God's answering that prayer when, when someone says those words. What can I do? And get involved financially. Oh, there we go. Look, I am unapologetic when we talk about money. Unapologetic. You, the budget will be shared here next week. None of it comes to me. Very, very little comes to me. Where is it going to? The world. It's going to the world. <laughs> It's mostly going to this church right here, right? It's for reaching Toronto. And then we're growing, amazing. We're growing in the reach of this church financially to be able to make an impact in other places. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal for where your treasure is there will your heart be also we always are willing to spend money on what we love if we love the Lord, we can show that by giving him tithes and offerings and giving money to help the gospel go to other places. Why would I do that? Have we not benefited? Have we not been the benefactors of someone? Guys, if I could, and I won't take the time to share, do you realize that there are hundreds of churches and hundreds of people around the United States and Canada that are giving to make this service today possible. And they're praying. And what an opportunity for us to receive and then be able to do that for other people in other parts of this world. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.